Welcome to A Regenerative Future with Matt Powers. I'm your host, Matt Powers. And today, we're talking again to one of my favorite people, John Kemp. He's a farmer, a researcher, an author, and a gatherer of information. All right, here he is. Let's begin. <laughs> Matt, it's great to see you. How are you? I'm doing really well. Heard here. of dark septate endophytes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have a section of them in my, in my, uh, my textbook. Okay. DSEs. DSEs. Yeah, tell me about them. Did you know, did you know that melamine, which is the compound that they synthesize, can, uh, is a photon receptor and can absorb energy all the way from the visible light spectrum to gamma radiation. Mm. That means that these fungi are getting energy constantly all the time from background cosmic radiation and have the capacity to actually sequester carbon in the absence of living root systems. Whoa, that is amazing. Oh, and by the way, by the way, melamine is also um, a very powerful diode and electrode. Uh, the kind of the maybe the biological way to say it is that uh, it is an unending source of uh, an, um, a free radical that never loses its charge. It's a battery. It's a flipping little battery, and it is equal to or better than all of the synthesized diodes in maintaining and storing a charge. So you want to talk about plants and biology growing from energy and from magnetic fields and electrical currents and all that fun stuff? They're plugged right in. <laughs> yeah. They're not plugged in. They're the flipping antenna that picks up everything else and fuels everything else, the entire system. Right, but I wonder how many other things have that or have endophytes or had endophytes that, that had that same ability. I mean, when we look at the root and, and Olivia Husson, like last week was like, oh, well, yeah, you know, at the root, you know, th it forms like a diode and an anode. And it's like, you know, it's, it's like, how is this, is this a universal form? And it, it feels like our, like a discovery of electricity all over like, like electro electronic like machines and everything and technology is already there in nature like we're not we didn't create anything mm -hmm. no actually we've created lots of chaos and destruction but aside from that very little <laughs> yeah it does actually actually just to spin off on that for a second knowing what we know now how critical this you know electrophysics electrochemistry side of things is um how much unintended like damage do you think we've done by bombarding all these different experiments you know what i mean uh into the air into our bodies i'm sure it's significant mm. i'm sure it's significant and then there is also the long wave antenna that we have when we're broadcasting frequencies throughout the entire globe i mean submarines can communicate in the ocean because of a 30 square mile antenna that's in Wisconsin in the soil. Hmm. 
So yeah, there's, I think there's a very high probability that we're going to discover we've had lots of unintended and likely undesirable consequences with our, um, with our use of different parts of the electromagnetic spectrum. Like we, we have to ask the obvious question, the way that life was created and established here on this planet, um, is there a possibility that there might've been a very good reason that certain significant segments of the spectrum were silent? Mm. Or at least silent to our mechanistic view of perception? Hmm. Yeah, it's like, why were the micronutrients and the trace elements at those concentrations? And we've spent all this right. effort to concentrate these things yeah. And then we have the whole, this whole concept that I was talking to Olivier about, which, you know, if we just like boil it down, generalize for a moment, it's like we've removed the energy, you know, a lot of the potential energy from the soils of the earth. And yep. Be, when you think about growing plants from a biophysics perspective, essentially you need carbon, you need soil organic matter, humus, the correct way to say it would be to say that you need the humus clay colloid complex to serve as an energy battery. That battery can be charged up to hold extremely high levels of charge and, and orders of magnitude greater than most people anticipate in terms of the electron volts that, that can be stored there. And that charge is then released to grow plants. So it's plants don't grow from minerals um, certainly they, they incorporate minerals and atoms into some of their compounds, but what plants really grow from is they grow from the charge that different minerals carry. So we've observed in our agronomy work many times where growers might get a rock powder, maybe they get limestone from two different quarries, and from a chemistry perspective, it appears identical. The, the particle size, the, the chemistry, it, it all looks the same but they apply it into the field and you get two completely different responses. And the reason you get two completely different responses is because you have different crystalline structures that store different levels of charge. Yeah, so I've been reading, if it's not obvious, I've been reading Philip Call uh, Callahan's work and I'm Irish. So like the towers, the, the round towers, the mm -hmm. paramagnetic mm -hmm. um, stone, you know, I've been like thinking about that and yeah, the health effects and all that. Cause you know, I mean, my wife's had cancer so many times. I, I wanna find out how to navigate us out of this situation that we're in. Because I think that there's a lot of unintended consequences that are overlapping. And now we're in a state of exposure and, and to peeling those layers off to try to really see what we can triangulate. <laughs> so speaking of, Olivia was telling me about a new study that you all are working on. And, and, and again, further that triangulation process using the data to get further and closer. Um, how is that coming? Uh, when could we all expect to, to get a glimpse? Because <laughs> we're all excited. <laughs> um. There are two papers that are actively in the works and Olivier gets the majority of the credit because he's 
the rest of us have been contributing critique and um, feedback and our own insights, but he's really the one who's doing all the heavy lifting and doing all the work. So the first paper has been through the first round of peer review is going through the second round of peer review right now and I anticipate will probably be published. This is my first foray into academic publishing so I'm still learning the process, but I anticipate it'll be four to six weeks or something like that. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I get to have my uh, I get to have my name as a co-author on the same paper as Olivier Hussan with an eighth grade formal education. Can you believe that? <laughs> I love that. Well, that's like for me that gives me a lot of hope. For me, that gives that that's like. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, the American dream of rags to riches resonates with us all is because this idea that we can, we can grasp these things that we can truly know that we can, you know, yeah. get in touch with like the, the, the amazing things that this life provides. So I really appreciate that. That is, that is significantly awesome. So what is this paper about? Um, Goodness, Matt, I have been through this rigmarole so many times. I'm actually, uh, I have a hard time remembering which paper is which. Oh, okay. <laughs> have you have other people been so, interviewing on this? No, we're we're not uh, we're not speaking about it publicly yet. I'm I'm actually surprised that Olivier mentioned it to you, but. Uh, <laughs> I, I had it's I had good. already like when we were talking about it, I was like, this is going to be for the podcast this time. It's official. You know, I had all, you know, my, sh my show voice on. <laughs> and um, yeah, he he uh, he was he's very excited. And then he even pulled out the meter. He was like, and then yep. and he is so excited about that meter. Yep. So um, the. <laughs> Title of the first article is EH and PH homeostasis as a major driver of soil and plant health, a review. That's and awesome. it's about 30 pages long. It's essentially a review article similar to the review article that um, he wrote uh, earlier on EH and PH, but now we're really tackling the plant health perspective. So it while it doesn't talk about the plant health pyramid, uh, it ties in with the plant health pyramid. And um, it has, I don't know, 400 citations or so, 400 some references. And uh, that all talk, uh, it all ties together in this biophysics perspective of demonstrating that we should not look simply at, that we should take a more comprehensive view of disease and insect resistance. Yeah. And he was saying that this paper with something like this meter together are going to mm -hmm. allow the farmer, allow agronomists, everyone to finally see these things, to, to navigate them, to diagnose in a completely new way, which sounds amazing. <laughs> what I suspect is going to happen, um, You've used the refractometer a bit, haven't you? Yep, I just packed it. Um, it's in that yeah. box. <laughs> yeah, so you know, if you have lots of experience with the refractometer, is that, um, here's my opinion of the refractometer. It is an awesome tool for people who use it a lot 
And if you only use it a little and you don't really immerse yourself in what it's telling you and understanding what it's telling you, then it's not entirely valueless, but it's pretty low on the scale that there's, there's a lot that it doesn't tell you because you have to do lots of interpretation. You have to apply a lot of understanding of what is going on within the system in order to have the BRICS reading make sense. And EH and PH, I'm looking at redox with implants is a little bit like that as well in that it also is going to require a lot of understanding. So it'll be an incredibly powerful tool for Olivier and for you and for me and for Harriet Mellon, for other people, not even at that level of knowledge, but other people who have more in-depth knowledge, but um, for a farmer to go out and attempt to use it and interpret it, um, it has the potential to be challenging because similar to the refractometer, it doesn't tell you what to do if you're not where you want to be. Right. That's really, really good to know. And I'm so glad that you have your courses <laughs> and, 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 and AEA because you guys do such a great job coaching, consulting and advising folks. They really do need it. We had the scaffolding. We had such an, we had an awesome call. Our Matt, our team at AEA is just, we're knocking it out of the park. Like it's, we don't even know where the edge of the park is anymore. And um, I think it was Wednesday evening, no, Thursday evening, uh, something really important came up and I needed to have a snap phone call with seven different team members, uh, consultants from around the country. So I texted all of them and I said, hey, we, I only need three minutes, but we have to talk for three minutes right now. Everybody jumped on except one person wasn't able to make it. And uh, the first person who jumped on was one of our consultants from Washington. And we were chatting for a couple seconds while the other people joined. And he said, John, you know, we're having so much fun out here. We're getting such incredible successes. You know, we're, we're winning so much that I'm actually getting tired of winning. <laughs> wow. It's just, uh, it's really incredible, Matt. It is really incredible. We, our team has grown by about 10 people since the beginning of this year. And we want to add another 10 people um, through the rest of the year. And um, we're just, it's like we've got hold of a tiger by the tail. <laughs> I love that. Well, it seems like you found the sweet spot and that kind of goes back to that homeostasis idea. It feels the way I describe it in my classes. Um, and I don't know if I said it this way in the book but it's that Goldilocks to me. It's that Goldilocks range. The earth is in this sweet spot mm -hmm. in the universe. Mm -hmm. Our universe mm -hmm. is traveling through the, the greater space in this seemingly Goldilocks space. The plants do best in this certain range. Our bodies, you know, frequency wise, you know, all like there's a frequency to health for everything. They're there's this, there's a Goldilocks, there's a, a homeostasis point that if we can find the right measure, measurements, we can find it. And it feels like you all are finding it right now. And it's, it also feels like it's gonna, well, gonna just change food. It's gonna change our farming and soil. It's gonna change food and it's gonna change all of our bodies and, and health and how we think about how we do everything. Do you feel that way yeah. too? Yeah, I think so. Um, because what's going to happen, what is happening is that every single grower that we work with, 
becomes the low cost producer. They, they become so efficient and so effective and they're producing such high quality crops, less expensively than everyone else. And this will become the new version of agriculture if for no other reason than through capitalistic competition. It's really exciting. I know that you're infecting, your, your method is infecting other, other disciplines and methods. Um, the soil consultant, Brian Vague from uh, Dr. Lane's uh, Soil Food Web School, he's like a top consultant, really good on the scope. He's willing to look at anyone's piles. You know, he looks at Korean natural farming, good compost, and, and he just looks at it from the biological. I mean, he's, he's not there to like mm -hmm. judge your method. He just cares about the final product. And he cares so much about the final product that he wants to start doing plant, plant sap analysis testing at, through you all and, and really show that the biology mm -hmm. that he's seeing links directly to, 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 the, to the provable science that you guys are introducing so that he's in line. <laughs> With this new, this new, new and, and, and if he's not, and it was so cool, it's like, and if it's not right, I'm going to figure it out. And, yeah. and like, that's where we're at. We're, you're giving us the tools to, to actually make substantive change. Well, that's quite a compliment. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> I don't always feel that way, but uh, it was what we set out to accomplish. So there's, it's onward and upward. I'm I'm really excited by the new tool that Olivier has. I'm excited by the tool that's coming out of MIT with Jill Clapperton and um, the um, we will begin. Like I've since 2014, I've been writing I've been writing algorithms for the AI agronomist that we want to build, and uh, it's just been kind of this back burner project that. Uh, the world wasn't ready for yet because we didn't have the sensors and the, the handheld tools to take in the field to make that tool or to make that software program really capable of what I really wanted to be capable of. But now it looks like that is coming. And so if all goes well, we're going to um, um, have a team starting to actively develop all the algorithms for the AI agronomists starting in about August of this year in preparation for spring of next year. So that will be pretty interesting as well. So you taught yourself calculus? Yeah. Dang, dude. And statistics. <laughs> Dang. Well, I didn't do well in that. <laughs> okay, I didn't show up, I'll admit, I didn't show up. Um, but but man, wow, that's really impressive. Yeah, so it's that's like- not as impressive as it seems because math is, math was always really intuitive for me. Like I, I just got it. Um, it's very different from physics. Um, and I know physics is a lot of math and a lot of calculus, but my, well, probably my worst experience ever in self-education was the realization that all of this is what we're talking about. All the, the uh, biophysics <laughs> ties into physics and I need to understand physics. And so I borrowed a university textbook on physics from the local library. And I read that thing from the front cover to the back cover very laboriously and very painstakingly making sure I understood everything and doing all the math. And I got to the last page and the last page has a paragraph on it that says, 
We now know that everything that we have taught you in this book is incorrect because of new advancements in quantum physics and so forth. But we don't know any other way to teach it, so we're going to continue teaching it the way we've always taught it. That book weighed about two and a half pounds and it made a dent in the drywall. <laughs> yeah. That was painful. <laughs> but imagine if you paid like 55 grand a year to go to a top, top university oh, to get that man. realization. Man. Yeah. That'd be worse. It would have been, yeah, instead be of a six week project, it would have been a couple of years. <laughs> Right. Yeah, and then they time delay the reaction. So then you have like built in like uh, denial. <laughs> like, no, that can't be. You're fully indoctrinated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So speaking of research, that incredible course from Harriet, uh, is it Mila or Mela? Mela. Mela. Just absolutely superb. And I was thinking about, about the, the, one of the, the realizations, I won't go into detail into it because I think it's, she does better job than anyone could do. Um, and it's also in, in Kind Harvest, if people want to go check that mm -hmm. out, there's a great discussion on this. But fructanes, the fructose polymers, if we look at the research, there's tons of research published on it, right? How could we test for that in real time, I mean, because I mean, given that drought is is a reality, and given that this this might be a stress response that our plants are are, are doing, how would we test for that? I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. Um, just got done interviewing someone who would. That would be John Fagan from HRI Labs in Fairfield, Iowa. Um, how would you test it in real time? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a lab tech. I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. So, 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 but I mean, probably the answer is like, don't let your plants get stressed. <laughs> well, not necessarily even that, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm I mean, I've known this for a decade, but it seems every conversation I have with a a scientist who offers new insights and new breakthroughs just reconfirms it again, is that a healthy, functional, balanced microbiome and balanced mineral nutrition solves all problems or prevents all problems. So <laughs> like, yeah, you can, you can riff on that. You can find a million different ways of saying it, but that's what it really is. <laughs> I love that. And there's so many of us saying it from different different corners and in different ways, like Olivia Husson and James White and Phil Callahan and Don Huber. Are there yep. any new folks that that are, you know, waiting in the wings that we should be uh, studying from? I know Harriet, you've got that you all have that new course. I think everyone should take that. Maybe, you maybe someone should watch the Kind Harvest interviews with her first, hop in there and check that out so you get aware of the level she's speaking at. Because I don't want to like bum anyone out and be like, Matt, there wasn't a word I understood. <laughs> but, but it really is Harriet, good if you know it. Harriet is... Um... Uh, 
I think I can say that she's probably in a league of her own. Hmm. At least I've not met anyone else yet with her capacity for synthesizing such diverse different types of information and putting it together into one coherent whole. And um, I think it would be worth your while to interview her perhaps several times uh, and not even to, I, I've, I'm coming to the realization that the conversations I have with her, I actually learn more when I ask her about her experiences and what she's observed rather than about the science because she's extraordinarily observant hmm. and she does quite a lot of propagation and breeding work uh, with different types of plants. So when it comes to evaluating genetics and genetic expression and rapid epigenetic shifts, I mean, she was uh, telling me this morning that she has um, plants that uh, she has pumpkins that she's been breeding for some time and now just in the last few years as um, their health has improved when they germinate they immediately have two true leaves instead of one um, and they immediately have uh, at the first node at the first branch they will have immediately start having three crown blossoms and three blossoms on one node instead of one um, peppers now have three blossoms per node. Peas now have uh, four to six blossoms per node instead of two. And so she's seeing all these very rapid changes in epigenetic expression from just uh, in, in the course of a single growing season or a couple of growing seasons, seeing these very rapid, observing these very rapid shifts. And um, similarly, in, in the interview that I had with her that's posted on Kind Harvest, when you look at uh, the conversation we had about slugs, um, she is able, she has such this wealth of knowledge in the background that she's able to connect all these different dots and say, oh yeah, slugs show up when we have these types of conditions and these types of parameters, and here's how I can produce resistance to them. And it's just that very broad generalist knowledge base that is so rich. Olivier is uh, very similar too, where he can hop between the definitions between different branches of science. And it's that ability to do that, which allows, you know, her to go down to the digestion of that gastropod and be like, oh, that's what you're doing on a, on like, like, like the actual like chemical level in your digestion. Well, that means that we can apply this and it's like, whoa, <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. she, she can just unlock that. She's got a great understanding. Yeah. And especially when she starts talking about uh, like the biological processes. I mean, with my book, I mean, you probably noticed it's like I went into the plant, but not far. I didn't go into the cells like the, the mitochondria and all, all those kinds of things and the exchanges um down there but she does it's it's wild yeah yeah so to answer your question matt there's um i think you're asking who's the next olivier who's the next james white who's the next harriet um i have a list but you don't get to see it until i interview them on the podcast first <laughs> you hear that everyone Subscribe to his podcast. <laughs> it's probably the best advertisement we can get. For sure. 
Yeah, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's where, you know, I've learned so much and and where we originally got connected was uh, I started watching your podcast, watching your <laughs> and then And then really going through the research being like, wait a second, and looking things up and finding those papers. And well, my, my bookshelf's no longer there because it's packed. But, um, you know, finding the Huber, Datnoff, like, like uh, Elmer book, you know, those kinds of things were just so vital for me in my education. And uh, so I think I speak for everyone that we're just so excited that you, you not only interview these people, but you're cultivating, you know, these, these <laughs> lists and, and, and tabs on people who are in development because uh, we all really, really value that. Well, so thank something... you. I think we should also, an important point though, Matt, is that we should not lose sight of those who have gone before. Mm -hmm. um, so Huber and Datnoff and Elmer's book is relatively recent as a reference book, but um, there's also Krasilnikov, Soil Microorganisms and Higher Plants, mm -hmm. published in the 50s with a good deal, I would even say of what I'm aware of, a majority of that work has not been replicated uh, and has not been brought into the current uh, knowledge base in microbiology in much of the Western world. Uh, I, still, I still remember this, this one um, section of the book, just a couple of paragraphs where they made mention of how biology is um, actually utilizing a gamma radiation from radioactive decay and uh, utilizing it as an energy source. And the recommendation that one microbiologist wrote, he said that all soils and soil biology universally would benefit from application of small amounts of radioactive material. And you read that and you go, wait, what? Uh, who, who would make that type of a recommendation? But then you go on to discover that they were documenting, describing how biology who have access to this type, to these types of energy are producing um, or essentially engaging in cold fusion and they are producing uh, new, or I shouldn't say new, but um, elements that were not previously present in a given soil profile are now all of a sudden present. The soil didn't used to have cobalt and now it has abundant levels of cobalt. So there's so much that they were working on that we don't know, that haven't followed through on. Wow. Yeah, it, so much of this past, the, the past has, uh, has been coming up in the past 20, 30 years since the internet has allowed us to disseminate information. And yeah, it's very true. I think all these things, you know, whenever we talk about soil, uh, we, uh, we tend <laughs> to raise more questions than answers. What are some of the areas that you're pondering currently that raise more questions than answers in the soil? I'm still trying to wrap my mind around the, all the different aspects of the biophysics, magnetism, electricity, there are so many fields and so many currents, like it's the, um, the charge that a clay colloid can hold is something like 
10 to the ninth power of electron volts, like there's tremendous voltage stored that, that is, can, can be stored in our soil profile. Um, tremendous energy. And so, um, I'm persuaded that it's possible because we've actually observed it. It's possible to grow plants from seed to harvest in a fraction of the time that we would normally consider that they should take. Mm -hmm. So we've observed this on a number of occasions to occur spontaneously, but now I'd like to systematize that and define how did that happen? Can we replicate it? How do we replicate it? So that's one area that I'm studying and thinking about that I presently have more questions than answers. How much ado uh, adoption do you see in the light of the fact that these are uh, the lowest cost producers with the highest quality products in a capitalistic system, they win. So in yeah. my mind, I see this sea change. I see that tipping pointer at the 20% mark, 15% mark happening. And then suddenly it's, it becomes like something that grandma can tell anyone about. Right. I don't have a crystal ball, so I don't know exactly what the future might look like, but I anticipate we're going to be at the 15 to 20% threshold in about the 10 year time frame. Um, mm. Australia is at 10% now, and we're certainly some distance behind them, but we are also having a headwinds behind us where Australia had a headwinds in front of them yeah uh, against them so um yeah it's there's obviously lots of moving pieces and parts political environment has some influence um if we let them have it um <laughs> but yeah it's it's not unreasonable to me at all to anticipate to have 15 to 20 percent of the uh u.s acreage dedicated to agriculture in on a regenerative pathway in 10 years from now. And the amount of change that will create, I think will, will catapult it into into like the, the, the deepest adopt, uh, adoption. Um, and of course, just like with DDT getting banned in the US and it not being banned in like India and Africa for I think even today, um, these things will not be like this widespread kind of like flipping a light switch kind of thing or cell phone adoption or something like that. But the beauty of this is that in terms of, in terms of education and understanding, and from what I see in terms of sequestration of carbon, that's gonna make a huge dent and it's gonna basically create the impetus, the momentum that we need to get, to get to where we need to be so that we live in a more regenerative world, in a world that's not yeah. just continuously degrading. Do you, do you think that's, that, that's accurate? Yes, I do. Yeah, I think we, uh, we have the knowledge collectively to execute and implement on that. It's just a question of, do we have the collective will and the political will 
Hmm. Um, so the technology and the know-how is there. That's there. That's not really a question. Well, so I had a more generic question here, <laughs> but it's relevant. Um, but what are the top three, you know, biggest problems that you see farmers um, facing right now? Last time we spoke, you talked about the strawberry issue in Florida that you were being called in to help with. And it just got me thinking about um, what, what, what are farmers facing right now? The single biggest problem that farmers are facing is the single biggest problem that all of us face as individuals, and that is fear. Hmm. Fear of the unknown, fear of the unfamiliar, fear of the uncomfortable, fear of being ostracized within our communities, within our families, uh, fear of trying something new, all of the emotion that comes with that, um, all of the storytelling and all the drama that comes with that, that's the foundational primary limiting factor for all of us as individuals and for all farmers. Um, and then, I mean, that's that's so big and so important that we could talk about that for an hour in and of itself. Here's the opposite. But then in addition to that, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, I would say then, in addition to that, the, the second biggest challenge is that is tied to that first one is a lack of knowledge, a, a lack of awareness, a lack of knowing of what the problems are and what to do about them. And you could, you could say that that is a fault of a lack of self-education. And I think many, many farmers... Um, This is not universally true by any means, but many farmers got started in farming because they enjoyed being active and they enjoyed being outdoors. They didn't particularly enjoy being in a classroom. And so for whatever reason, many people have associated uh, negative, uh, they have negative associations with learning and with self-education. And that is probably the second biggest reason. I mean, it's well stated in the quote in the Bible, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And I'll just, uh, I see so much opportunity. There is so much potential that is untapped that anyone can access. Even young people starting out age 23 with no money can get started in farming with the right mindset and with the right desire and with the right knowledge and information. Um, on one hand, we have farms like Never Sink Farm in upstate New York, which is farming one and a half acres with a gross annual revenue of $350,000 per year for the last however many years. And um, significant enough profits to sustain the farmer and his family very well. And then we have farmers in the Midwest who uh, are saying, I can't make a living on a thousand acres what's wrong with this picture? I just interviewed Stephen Beerling for, for my podcast that just posted on uh, Thursday. Uh, he was a bit hesitant to talk about some of his economic numbers. I felt like I needed to use a chainsaw and a crowbar to get them out of him. But um, he, uh, he and his family farm several thousand acres altogether, but he has 60 acres of Honeycrisp apples that are his project, his love, if you will. And they've got that. He's grossing that, that, 100. 
he's, they've got that issue. He's grossing <laughs> yeah. He's grossing $150,000 an acre on his honeycrisp apples per year. And, he, and he's doing stuff along the lines that, that you teach, right? The regenerative ag lines so that- Yes, he, he's, honeycrisp, been, he's been an eight. It brings me right back to your class. And I'm like, wait, honeycrisp, they have that weakness that you need to watch out for, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He's been an AEA customer for three years. He spends a couple hours a day, every day out in his orchard, just intuitively connecting with his trees and with his plants. Hey, what's going on? How are you doing? How can I help? And he's got triple the revenue of average Honeycrisp producers and slightly higher costs, but not triple higher costs. <laughs> so I see so much potential and so much opportunity, but to tap into that potential, to, to, to be aware of that opportunity requires education, requires knowledge. Stephen loves agronomy, plant nutrition, dives into it, studies, reads, asks questions that challenge all of us in our thinking and in uh, figuring out what's really happening, what's going on with his trees and look at where he is. A farmer, I mean, you can grow, you can grow 60 acres of apples anywhere in Iowa or Illinois or throughout Kansas, Nebraska and the Midwest, or you can grow wine grapes. I mean, there's so much potential, but we are trapped by fear mm -hmm. and our lack of knowledge. And we think we have to keep growing a thousand acres of corn. It's sad, really. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about all of this. I'm really excited about this. Is this has been one of the most informal conversations I've ever participated in? <laughs> That's what it usually is with me. Um, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I certainly did. You probably. I, for some reason, I was thinking that the recording was going to begin at some point in our conversation, not right from the beginning. So you probably got me to say some things that you otherwise wouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you. I appreciate your willingness to, to be flexible, to talk about everything. Um, because uh, for me, I, 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 it all connects. It's fun to be able to talk to you as a whole person. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Have a wonderful weekend. Happy growing, and may you have a great move to Austin. Thank you. And I, and I hope may to, you once find, I get all set up, I hope to come visit you. May you find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow when you arrive. I'll look for it. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Matt. Be well, and you're welcome to visit. Look forward to it. I do too. Can't wait. Thanks. Bye.